1: And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. What do we have up for today, Alex? Well, today we
0: have another special guest. This time it's Tara Swords. Now, Tara and I work together um, on a very exciting election um, that she'll be unnamed. Tara is a communications consultant and executive coach based in Chicago. Now, she writes and edits strategic communications to help businesses and organizations you know, tell all the stories that matter to their customers and constituents. But she also trains and coaches politicians in communicating in ways that speak to the subconscious, just the same way that we break down and discuss every day on this podcast. So welcome to the show, Tara.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here.
0: Now, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about your background and you know what your current work is?
2: I've spent my career in communications, and that's a pretty big umbrella, but it includes anything from writing speeches to coaching leaders to coming up with content strategy. But I would say the common thread that runs through everything I've done and am doing now is that it all comes down to storytelling. So it's about identifying your audiences and understanding what messages they need to hear, but also how they need to hear those messages. You could be talking to customers or constituents or partners or even potential investors, and you're going to say different things in different ways. So my job is to help people figure out what those messages are and then how to say them in a way that's going to resonate.
0: And how do you sort of see your role as, you know, working with politicians? What's that like?
2: You know, candidates are usually pretty maxed out in terms of their time and their energy. I mean, campaigning is a completely exhausting, nonstop process that, you know, depending on the office you're running for, it can last for more than a year or, you know, close to two. And when you are overscheduled and you're constantly meeting new people, you're working the phones for donations, you're feeling pressure from your own family, right? To, you know, maybe stop by home and say hi once in a while. Um, It can be really, really hard to make the mental switch that needs to happen every time you walk into a room with a different audience. So my role as a coach or a media trainer is to help candidates stay present so they can focus on relating to the people who are right in front of them. Because, you know, if you're running for president, for example, you have to be president of everybody. You have to be the president of the steelworkers and the teachers and the investment bankers, and they all have very different needs and challenges that they want you to help them solve. Um, You know, one thing that I I like to point out is that a lot of people think – that when they hear about a a candidate being trained or coached on how to communicate, um, whether that's to voters or the media, they think that means that the final product they see on TV or at a rally is just manufactured, you know, isn't genuine. And 95% of the time, that's just not true. I mean, when you work with a candidate or anyone for that matter, you're working with a a fully formed human being, you know, and they're not putty in your hands, you're not turning them into something they aren't. Um, I'd argue that kind of the combat nature of politics really distills people down to their essence, right? It kind of (laughs) oversaturates their personality. Um, So my job is really to help them figure out how to be their true selves and connect with other people's uh, true selves at the same time. That's kind of abstract, but I'd say at the highest level, that's what it is.
1: Now, how do you separate? How do you separate who someone's true self is versus, let's say, their mannerisms that certain groups might not find to be particularly um, appealing, or you know, might not find to be particularly endearing? How, How do you separate that out and you know, notice who someone is at their core versus? the various things that they might be doing that actually, you know, might be, might be harming them. You know, like we've, we've just heard about this um, whole thing with Joe Biden, uh, you know, and the hugging and and everything. And, you know, someone could say, well, Joe Biden's just a hugger. That's just who he is. But we also seen how it's gotten him into trouble. So how do you, how would you say that you separate that out?
2: Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's not always easy um, because, the reality in the case of Joe Biden, for example, is that there is a huge number of people who find those qualities about him to be very endearing. So, you know, some of his natural uh, behaviors are very polarizing. Some people love it. Some people think that it's, you know, he's he's doing the wrong thing and he's harming people and he's kind of perpetuating this idea that we're trying to get rid of in our society, Right. Um, and so I guess it really, it's a case by case thing, right? I mean, I would be, uh, I hope someone right now is telling Joe Biden that he needs to dial it back a little, but not so much that it's gone because it's who he is. And he's a very endearing person, right? I think Joe Biden, whatever you feel about, um, where he fits in the Me Too movement, um, you can't deny that he is expert at verbally connecting to people i mean he is a wonderful speaker um he taps into people's kind of common humanity very well um but at the same time he has to temper some of those things because the narrative is already uh taking over right and once once the narrative is controlling you then you you you're really losing it um and so it means Yes, you're gonna come out on stage and you're gonna hug someone and they're gonna hug you back, but you're not gonna get up to the mic and make a joke about how you got their permission to hug them. Because then the people who are upset um are gonna be more upset because it feels like you're mocking them. I think that's and the so Donald Trump strategy. It really it really is. <laughs> um, but it's it's you have to just temper some of those things and you don't want to eradicate the things about someone's personality or um you know, just sort of their quirks, um, because that is really a big part of who they are. And it tells you a lot about them. Um, but at the same time, you can't overdo it.
0: It's interesting that you, you know, sort of say all that about, you know, bringing out the candidates, you know, natural personality and how the campaign amplifies all of that. I'm interested in taking a look at the opposite end of the spectrum then. And we talk about Hillary Clinton, who, right. you know, not to relitigate 2016, but, you know, she was criticized for how robotic and how, you know, how well coached and how well trained she was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from your background, how do you sort of view, you know, her relationship with, you know, uh, coming off as as authentic to the press?
2: Mm. Yeah, so she she had a, a very different problem. So everything that we heard from people who interacted with Hillary Clinton regularly was that she is fantastic one-on-one. Um, she's very good at talking to people and connecting with them on a human level, you know, as a mom, as a grandmother, um, as an American. Uh, but when she got up in front of an audience, she had a much harder time, uh, just being genuine. And that's, that's actually a little bit tougher of a situation, um, for someone like me, because most of the, um, situations in which a candidate will find themselves during a campaign are going to be that one to many, right? It's going to be when you are talking to a room full of people or you are at a rally. Um, and so it's a, it's a lot harder, but the, the, you know, you have to practice this stuff, especially for people for whom it does not come naturally we have to drill over and over. And some people will have you know little tricks like a song that will get them kind of in the right headspace or a person that they like to be with just before they go out to do something um, very visible and important. Um, And those are all great, but really it comes down to just getting people comfortable. And the only way to do that is to just drill this stuff over and over until you get better at it.
0: You know, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the whole songs to get people into a headspace. I think in one of our earlier episodes, um, if you go back when we were talking about 2016 and sort of the, the the different tactics that campaigns would use, for example, playing that song, that walk-on song for the candidate, mm-hmm. that's always the exact same song to get the audience, mm-hmm. you know, one, one side of it is it gets the audience into, you know, a certain mental space and they have that's certain... Right memories and attachments to that song but on the other side that candidate is you know it it anchors them to a certain mood and to a certain you know this is performance time you know that's why baseball players come out to you know their song that's why you know uh sports teams have all of this and uh and candidates do it exactly the same too with with fight song and hillary clinton
2: that's right. It serves that dual purpose. Um, so that's a, that's a really great device for getting everybody into the right mindset at an event like that. Um, and again, that's something that it probably gets stronger the more often it happens on both sides, right? Um, but it, it's repetition. It's repetition. And it can be very boring and it can be very frustrating for candidates who feel like they're not getting it right and you're constantly in their face saying, no, no. Try again, um, but it's necessary
1: so when when you're saying drilling is is this more about specific mannerisms? is it about behaviors is it staying on message, or is it also about you know I'm hearing you say a, a different thing, which is also about their state, their emotional state because when they're in that headspace, maybe then automatically the more correct things are going to come out versus if they're in the uh, more negative headspace, then perhaps the things that come out aren't going to be exactly what you would like to hear.
2: Right. No, it's all of it. It's all of it. Um, You have to get good at making that mental switch. I mean, it would be hard for anybody. But again, if you put yourself into sort of the a day in the life of right for a candidate, they are bouncing from place to place from audience to audience and task to task and it's they're just constantly bombarded everyone wants a piece of you everyone wants um you know you to do things their way at the same time you're asking a lot of other people too and you have to sell yourself constantly and as you can imagine uh it's not always gonna go well right um you're gonna have really bad weeks and really bad days and you have to be able to to bounce back from that and put yourself in a different headspace, so that you are able to remember all of those other things you've been drilling on, which are what is your message, what are the mannerisms you need to remember, um, what are the things you are not going to say right now. Um, so it's it's everything. You're you're exactly right. What
0: are the top mistakes that politicians sort of uh, make, or you know, have a style that you find yourself often correcting the most?
2: You know, there are quite a few. Um, I think they all boil down to fighting human nature uh, sometimes. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, when you're a candidate, you're going to spend a lot of time being challenged. You're going to be challenged by your opponent, by the media, by voters who just don't support you. And the natural reaction that almost everyone has to being attacked is to either attack back or to get defensive, right? This is just how we've evolved. And sometimes those responses are warranted and sometimes they're appropriate, but so often people just want you to empathize with them. Mm. They want to get some sort of feeling that you understand their situation. Uh, You know, they want to feel like you care, um, And so the biggest problem is probably defensiveness when instead you should be connecting on a human to human level.
0: And do you find that a lot of that's influenced by, you know, politicians, just personality that, you know, they go into a debate And, you know, they're up against their opponents who, you know, made dogpile on them and poking and prodding. And, you know, is there a little bit of a strategy there to, you know, know your opponent's personality and, you know, to get them riled up knowing that they're going to get off message and start, you know, doing that sort of attack?
2: Yeah, you know... that's part of it and that's practice, right? And so when you are prepping for a debate or for what you know could be a somewhat adversarial interview with someone in the press, you want to be, you're practicing, you're throwing those questions at your candidate over and over and over. You're saying them in an angry voice. You're really trying to channel the people who are going to have these, um, these complaints that they want to put to you. So you, you need to practice not taking the bait, um, Uh, You know, walk around the dog do is what I always tell people, don't step in it, keep your shoes clean. But it's not just the adversarial stuff. It's even the people who want to support you. So anger is a really important emotion in politics because... A lot of the time, people are voting in part because they're angry. They're angry at something that's happening or not happening, uh, either to them or to someone else. And an important way for candidates to create a connection with voters is to kind of share in the emotions that voters are expressing, even if that's anger, right? It creates a sense of, of empathy. So if you look at our current president and the way he expresses anger, it's, middle-of-the-night tweets in all caps with uh, multiple exclamation points and random capitalization. Um, it's, it's sometimes cruelty and mocking. It's that repetitive hammering on an issue or uh, a person who has made him angry. So it's very impulsive, and it, and it seems out of control. Now, the problem with expressing anger that way is that it really reveals insecurity and a total Uh, lack of executive functioning around emotional self-regulation. So it does not communicate confidence. It really creates doubt around decision-making ability, and that can leave voters with a sense of unease. Um, You know, from an evolutionary perspective, anger is a a fight-or-flight response. But out-of-control anger also tends to activate that response in other people. And you know, when you're running for office, you you don't want people to fight you or to flee from you. You you want them to choose to be by your side. So now contrast that with what we see in someone like Kamala Harris, the senator from California, uh, and and 2020 candidate. Uh, when she expresses anger, and we've seen her be angry. Um, you know, in in televised committee hearings, for example. But the way she expresses anger is almost the complete opposite. She is forceful, but calm. Um, She's very controlled. She's never impulsive. And everything from her vocal intonations to her facial expressions, um, gestures, some of the rhythms in her word choice, it all comes together to communicate a subliminal message of confidence to voters. You know, it says, not only do I understand how you feel about this right now, but I will channel your anger effectively, but I will not fly off the handle or let it compromise my decision-making ability. And that is what most people want in a leader. You know, when you communicate confidence, you inspire confidence. And And you can't get votes if if you don't have uh, people's confidence. Uh, Now, we know that the president's almost a juvenile, I guess, way of expressing anger probably did him a lot of favors with his base in uh, 2016. Um, And, you know, he certainly came a long way from winning the popular vote, though. Um, 2016 gave us a lot of exceptions to rules. But as a rule, most people will not respond favorably to that kind of out-of-control anger. You know, imagine that that someone comes up to you and says, I am tired of the fact that this country has done nothing about gun control. My son was killed in a school shooting. Many other children have been killed in school shootings since the day my son was killed in a school shooting. And maybe you are a a candidate who has tried to do something about this. And maybe you haven't been able to, right? Maybe you failed. You need to be able to look that person in the eye and say, you're right. You are absolutely right. It is wrong that we live in a country where children go to school." and they don't come home and it's not right that you have to wake up with the pain of losing your child but it's also not right that you have to live with the pain of knowing that your government has not done anything about it so it's it's expressing and it's and it's real it's genuine it's expressing that you understand where they're coming from even if you don't have a life that's just like their life and showing them, you know, not being afraid to show them that you do feel the pain that they're trying to describe to you. There's another mistake that comes up a lot and that's around changing the subject. Now, changing the subject is a perfectly fine thing to do and sometimes it's really necessary, right? You might be asked a question about a scandal or maybe a question that really is kind of silly, like about the horse race aspect of a campaign. And you know that if you spend your time talking about who's ahead and what the polls say, you're really missing a valuable opportunity to connect with voters. The media is a filter, and you don't want your message to get lost as it goes through that filter. So there's a technique for this, and it's called answer transition message, ATM. And the way it works is you answer the question very briefly, and then you transition into the message that you want to talk about. Or, you know, the way to think about this is you answer the question that you wish you were asked. Um, And there are really two errors around the way this technique is applied. The first is that candidates will sometimes just ignore the question entirely. And you can do that once in a while, but usually you want to address it, even if only briefly. Otherwise, you really just, you know, you're dodging over and over. And voters get really annoyed because you're kind of, you know, confirming their cynicism. You look like the stereotypical politician rather than an honest broker in this process. Uh, The other is that candidates will answer the question, but then they never stop answering it, right? They kind of fall into the trap. They never transition into the message that they want to give, which is about the issues. Um, So now there's this long clip of you talking about stuff you really should not be talking about. And you can pretty much bet that that is the clip that will be played over and over because somebody trapped you into talking about something that you know you really should have avoided so etm is something that i like to practice a lot
0: so now if you're pushing somebody out of their comfort zone and sort of getting them into this this other headspace and then rehearsing all of these things Um, I'm like you started describing, I'm sure it's it's pretty contentious at times. You know, the politician wants to say this. Maybe their, you know, relative was a politician as well and uh, they're being attacked Mm -hmm. and they want to stand up for their relative or, you know, they've got some very strong opinions on how they should be responding. You know, do you ever fight or argue with a candidate to try and like get them to where they need to be?
2: Um I wouldn't say I fight or argue but it, it people can get pretty uh uncomfortable um because you are always pushing people out of their comfort zone but that's what a campaign is right <laughs> I mean unless you are like a completely uh gregarious person you know total extrovert and frankly even then uh campaigning is going to be exhausting it's so hard to go out and 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 be on every minute of every day um, and so that's that's part of what they signed up for and um, you know it's if you're training someone how to deal with that it's your job to put them through those paces so that they're, you know behind closed doors they can make the mistakes and get better by the time they go out in front of the microphones um, and I, you know I'll tell people I know you hate this but we're going to do it <laughs> we're just going to do it <laughs> Um, And I'll say, it's okay if you don't like me right now. Like, you know, you'll get over it. (laughs) And um, I, you know, I I had a candidate once after I had put that candidate through, um, I don't know, 30 minutes probably of the hardest, um, you know, most aggressive questions that this candidate could expect to receive. And they were rough. Um, The candidate turned to me at the end and said, I really hate you right now. And I, (laughs) and I said, I know it's okay. And, um, you know, everything was fine after that, but, um, it's necessary. You, you have to face this, this tough stuff and figure out how you're going to communicate about it before it becomes something that's public. Right.
0: That's gotta take some discipline from you being able to jump (laughs) into the different, you know, emotional states yourself or, 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 you know, mental states to not take, you know, anything that they say or do personally either and, and to stay on point yourself?
2: Yeah. You know, I have a lot of empathy. Um it's just who I am. And so I I I can understand the way they feel, right? About about this discomfort. But I also know that it's it's never personal. They don't dislike me for asking these questions. They dislike the fact that to do a job that really doesn't involve campaigning, they have to do all this campaigning, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like such a weird mismatch between, you know, job application and, you know, interview process versus the job you're actually going to be doing. Uh, and that's frustrating for candidates because, you know, it, campaigning is rough. It just is. And it's 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 not what you're trying to be hired to do. You're trying to be hired to be a leader, which is very different.
1: When you're talking you know, with the candidates and they're in the mind space of, hey, I'm willing to do anything I need in order to be successful. You know, are there times still that they get under stress and then they kind of forget everything in which you've told them or forget everything in which you've in which you've rehearsed? And, you know, are there certain personality characteristics, for lack of a better word, that would make it more likely for a candidate to do that. In other words, if someone is, let's say, a real hothead, Mm -hmm. okay, and you're trying to train them, okay, let's just have a little bit of empathy, let's connect, let's, you know, agree and emphasize, uh, all of that type of thing. And then they're doing pretty well when the situation isn't that tough, but when they've been out campaigning day after day after day, they're tired, they're exhausted, they don't want to do it anymore, and then someone proposes them a really tough question, What happens then? And are there people who do better at it than others?
2: Yeah, I think, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. Hotheads are, (laughs) someone who's quick to temper, that's going to be a challenge that they deal with always because campaigning puts you in in such extreme situations. Um, It's it's really hard, but um, I'm not sure if there are other personality traits I would say that are you know, that are more likely to lead to those situations, maybe stubbornness. Um, It's it's not uncommon to have a candidate who will feel like, listen, I know you want me to do X, Y, and Z, but I really want to do A, B, and C, and it feels more right to me. And you have to kind of convince them why that's not going to work and help them, you know, kind of like game that out like what does that look like then what are the consequences of 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 doing it that way um hmm. but but yeah there are some situations that are you know more of a pressure cooker than others right the very first live televised debate for example like that is rough there are many different factors that are unknowns. You don't know, uh, you know, the questions in advance. You don't know, um, the order sometimes in which you're going to be asked the questions. You don't know who's going to come at you and who's going to, um, you know, kind of step aside and it's really hard to prepare. And so the more Zen you can be, um, you know, the better you are at, calming yourself and staying focused, and this is not easy for most people, it takes work, Um, the better off you're going to be.
1: And does your relationship with them play, you know, a big, big end to that? I mean, it sounds like there's kind of this process where you need to get them bought in to even saying, okay, this is someone who is going to be there with me and really, um, you know, take me through this process. And even when I'm stressed and, you know, feeling this way, I'm still going to be able to um, rely upon that.
2: Yeah. I I think, you know, in those times when you really have to kind of sell somebody on why you're here and what your job is and why it's necessary, um, you know, through that process, you kind of can build up rapport as well. Um, I think it can mean a lot to a person if they're getting frustrated and you're staying calm and you're sticking with it and you're not, you know, you're not kind of matching their um, frustration or, or, you know, kind of, mirroring that um it builds up a rapport it builds trust and it shows that you are here for their uh for their best interest and you're here to help and um but i i just think going through that process itself builds a lot of uh, builds up the relationship
0: you know we're going into 2020 elections and you know we kind of want to get a feel for you know what candidates right now sort of seem the most persuasive, might have the best communication style, who might be the worst? Um, and do you think that there's anybody that's like really underrated right now?
2: Mm, that's a good question. Um, there's so many to choose from. Um, you know, I think I think Elizabeth Warren is an excellent communicator. Um, and I do think she's underrated. Uh, she's a real policy wonk, and she's been putting out a lot of policy ideas that I think would resonate better if there weren't so much political noise right now. I mean, that's going to be, um, that puts a whole other layer of complication, um, over this particular election. There are so many candidates right now. Um, you know, I think Kamala Harris has a really commanding presence and I think she's a very clear communicator, um, I do think both of those women are a little bit underrated right now. Um, And it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what happens as the race progresses. I think the candidates who are getting a lot of the hype right now um, would be someone like Beto, right? Pete Buttigieg is getting a lot of hype. Um, And they're both actually very good communicators, um, but we're kind of waiting to see from them, you know, what's the substance behind the communication? Right. Right. What is
1: Beto actually saying?
2: Yeah. So what does he want to do? Um, for Mayor Pete, it's what has he done and what does he want to do? Um, but you can kind of see the power of communicating Um They're two good case studies. So Beto very much has this X factor about him. I don't think the hype is doing him any favors right now, but he, when he speaks to people, he's very good at getting people, um, really worked up and excited and, uh, inspired, um, And that, uh, you know, so far has taken him a long way. Now, you can't really compare uh, 2020 to what happened uh, with him in in 2018. The circumstances were so dramatically different um, when he was running against Ted Cruz in Texas. Um, But it'll be very interesting to see whether he can keep that hype going. Because, uh, you know, I may be someone who... Trains people on how to communicate, but communicating is never going to be the only thing that that carries you to office. You have to have the substance behind it, right? Um, Pete Buttigieg is kind of a fascinating person to watch lately because uh, so much of what we know about him is from things he hasn't really said. Right? It's his bio. He he reads like a Republican. Um, He is a white male uh, military veteran mayor of a small Midwestern town. Um, He reads like a Republican, but he opens his mouth and all of these, um, you know, kind of thoughtful, progressive, relatable ideas come out, you know, based on what feels like a pretty coherent philosophical worldview. And by the way, he's, you know, married to his husband. So, he communicates, I should say. His bio communicates um, as a uniter. Um, there is sort of something there for everyone. He makes everybody a little bit comfortable. Um, so I am very curious to see what he's going to do. Uh, I don't know yet whether he's overrated or underrated. I am just, I've just been sort of fascinated to see the way he's being received um, based on uh, things he hasn't even really said verbally, if that makes sense. Huh.
1: And, and do you think that there's a different communication style, a different pattern in the style of communication in Democrats versus Republicans in terms of how they, you know, use words and structure sentences together and the types of messaging that tends to be more effective in one, uh, you know, one particular demographic than another, you know, because I'm wondering that with, you know, Pete, uh, Buttigieg, like, you know, is, isn't that part of his thing is that he's saying, hey, I'm more of a centrist and I can talk to both sides. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm wondering if the talking to both sides isn't just a policy point, but it's also actually the way in which he is communicating.
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, the best communicators are people who can move between worlds. We saw that with Barack Obama. He, his background was so varied. I mean, he was an African-American man uh who was who had a white mother who was raised mostly by his uh, white grandparents. He lived in, in Indonesia for part of his childhood. I mean he just was able to move so fluidly um among these different worlds and he knew how to speak to different audiences in different ways. Um, I suspect with Pete Buttigieg that's something that we will also see um because he is a Democrat and he lives in a red state and has all of these, um, you know, traits that I think are very relatable to Republicans. Um, So yes, the way you communicate uh, makes a difference because you have to be able to talk to different groups. Now, um, what is the difference between the way Republicans typically communicate and Democrats typically communicate? Um, You know, you tend to see a lot more... um, Fear-mongering, obviously, on, on the Republican side. Um, a lot of times you'll have Republicans who are voting against something as opposed to for something. Um, they're voting against immigration and what they call open borders, right? They're voting against uh, women's woman's right to choose. Um, and so you tend to see a lot of that reflected in the tone of the communication. Um, it's about, you know, protecting... Um, some things that you could argue, um, you know, an America that, that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, and on the, on the democratic side, I think when Democrats communicate well, they're communicating for things. Um, now we'd be foolish to argue that this always works right i mean we just have to look back at 2016 to see an example of where all the rules and all the conventions were completely broken and the candidate who won was you know day in and day out exhibiting almost every trait that the average person would say they would never want <laughs> in a leader much less uh the president so it, 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 there's a lot of nuance in this stuff. And I, I think we could probably, you know, convene a, a commission of the, the brightest psychologists and social scientists to figure out why that happened in 2016. But, um, you know, until that happens, it feels a little bit like we're all kind of guessing, um, at how this stuff plays out.
0: You can't really build a lot of rapport if you're, you know, not speaking in their coded language or, or, you know, with their certain dialects, some people might sound more Southern when they're going to the South or might sound more Black when they're talking to a Black church. Um, You sort of see that as a rapport building method. And then they're able to, you know, get that connection and that and then the person is able to, you know, see a little bit more of that empathy that that individual has for them. Um, And so, you know, I'm sort of interested in, you know, how do candidates do that? Do are they better served by like modeling somebody else who has been successful? So, you know, taking the things that they observed about, you know, Obama and then, you know, trying to emulate those or by really just, you know, owning, you know, their authentic persona like Bernie Sanders, where he is who he is, no matter where he is. What's better for coming off as as authentic being yourself or trying Mm -hmm. to trying to code switch and be relatable?
2: yeah you you can't co switch unless it's authentic, right? I mean it, you could imagine you know Elizabeth Warren going to a black church in Atlanta and trying to <laughs> I mean it would just be it would be very bad um, so if it's not authentic, no, you don't do it um but so it's always better to be yourself and to figure out how to communicate you know yourself to other people in ways that are relatable to them. And and you can't just go into a campaign and say, I'm going to try to emulate so-and-so. Um, you're not so-and-so, right? You can pick right. out certain qualities of that person that really served them well. So, you know, for Barack Obama, if you can capture the kind of confidence that he had, that sort of, you know, in a lot of ways, he was had this kind of accessible self-assurance um and we're not talking about the times when he came across as aloof um because that's a whole other separate set of uh, criticisms but in a lot of ways he was very kind of affable and um it, and that spoke to his confidence so you need to get out there and and project that same kind of confidence um so that's where i would say you could look at other candidates and say what about them um you know their essence worked and how can you emulate that? But when it comes down to, you know, the speech patterns or specific turns of phrases, or I would not ever advise a candidate to try to emulate someone, uh, particularly someone who's very well known, uh, because you're going to come across as as just artificial, and it's going to be apparent. It's just going to be obvious to everyone who's watching.
1: So it sounds like some things can be trained or that you would advise them to be trained, let's let's say it that way, and others, you know, not so much. Do you think you can train empathy? Can you train relatability? Can you train them to actually, you know, let's say they, they grew up and their whole life is in, in a completely different, you know, uh, place than the people in which they need to win over, especially in a presidential race? can you train them to be able to connect and to empathize and relate and to have, you know, compassion?
2: Yeah. Oh, you can't train empathy, but you can, um, create more understanding and you can train the expression of empathy, right? Um, you know, the reason people don't have empathy for other people's situations is because they haven't experienced them. And so the more you can expose someone to those situations, um, you know, it's never gonna be the same as having experienced it, you know, for your you know, years on end of your life. You can't go out and, you know, sleep on the sidewalk one night and, and claim that you understand what it's like to be homeless. But the more that you can be exposed to those experiences and talk to people who've been through them, the more you will empathize. So, you know, if you are trying to uh, you know, do something about about violence, gun violence. Um, you need to talk to people whose lives have been affected by gun violence. Um, That's the only way you're really going to understand what it's like. And that's also, um, you know, for the candidate, I think that's very beneficial because it can really fire you up and make you understand the stakes um, and what you're fighting for. And then your passion is going to come out even more. Than it would have, and people are going to see it. Um, so that's what I would say: is you must you must get the candidate exposed to um, to those situations and ideas more than they more than they have been in their own lives. That's how you that's how you can create connection. And then for expressing empathy, uh, yeah, that's something. That's one of uh, one of the first things that I like to to work on with someone is is uh, coming at them with a comment or a question. And, you know, often people will try to prove how much they know about the subject and they'll launch into some sort of explanation. And that's not often what people are looking for first. They want you to say, that's a really good question. You know, that's something that, that I've been thinking about a lot, or I'm really glad you said that because that's something that I realize I need to understand better. Can you tell me more about, you know, what that's like or, or how you got here or, you know, what happened to you or your family. Um, and and so again, it doesn't always come naturally, um, especially when you're under pressure, maybe there's a camera trailing you where you're going. Um, so those things kind of, even if it is something you might've done, it will fly out the window, right. Under the, 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 the pressures that you're facing. And so that is something that, that we practice pretty regularly is first connect, You know, if you can mirror back some of the emotion that someone is feeling both in your words and in your, your facial expression, right? As the person is talking to you, if they're telling you something painful, I mean, you're human, let it show on your face that this is affecting you. If they're telling you something, you know, really wonderful, then the same. Let it show on your face that you get it, that you feel some of that emotion that they're communicating to you. So those are some of the ways that, you know, you can train someone to express empathy better.
1: And how long does it take to train someone to improve those skills? So are there things that you could teach door-to-door canvassers within a short period of time that would improve their effectiveness?
2: Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, it's the same kind of approach um, that canvassers could use. Um, and again, some people will be better at it than others. Some people will be, um, a little awkward. The more you can practice, the better you'll get. Um, but it just comes down to, you know, being human and trying to understand what's going on in this person's life. And, um, those are the same devices that you can use, not just as a candidate or a canvasser, but as a manager, uh, you know, in interpersonal relationships that you have with a significant other or your kids. I mean this is really just universal stuff that we're taking and applying to a campaign.
0: Going on a little bit more about that, you know how can an like an average everyday person sort of improve their communication skills so that they are more persuasive and more likable you know in their in their job, in their relationship? Um, are there you know maybe three or four different tactics? that, you know, our listeners can take today and start, you know, acting out in their everyday lives?
2: Yeah. Um, the Probably the biggest one that seems obvious, but most people don't do it very well is just kind of shutting up and listening to other people. Um, we so often want to get involved in kind of a tit for tat or someone comes to you with an idea or a problem and you want to um, you know, evaluate the idea or, uh, give them a different solution, um, to really show people that you value, um, what they're saying and and their contribution is to be quiet and just let them talk. And then after that, ask them questions to get them to tell you a little bit more. Um, it's important to do that before you open up your mouth and start, uh, you know, giving your own thoughts on the situation. Um, so that's one. And then another is when you do open up your mouth, um, try to explain to them that I shouldn't say explain. It's more just demonstrating that you understand where they're coming from. So some of those same, uh, statements of connection, that's a really good point. I see what you mean. I hadn't thought of it that way before things like that. Um, and, You know, those are again, I know it sounds so simple, but if you stop and look at your own, uh, (laughs) the conversations that you have on any given day, um, and and try to pay attention to how often you do that, you probably see that it's not terribly often. Um, And it's amazing how much those really simple techniques can improve relationships, whether it's with your spouse um, or your manager or someone you manage in the office. Uh, it can really have a transformative uh, effect on relations relationships to be a better listener and to ask questions and to demonstrate that you understand.
0: Well, that's all the time we've got for today. Thanks again, Tara, for coming on the show. It was fantastic having you um, and, you know, learning all about, you know, what goes into, you know, the different communication styles of politicians. You know, how do we train politicians to, you know, stay on message, to give speeches and to relate one on one. And we even got a little life advice uh, from Terra that we can use uh, every day going forward. So, thank you again for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Great. And if you all uh like the show and you know you'd like to to hear more, remember to follow us on Twitter at subliminal pod, come to our website at www.subliminallycorrect.com and take a second to scroll down into the show notes and find in those show notes, a link to our Patreon page. Please click on that link, subscribe, uh, buy us a cup of coffee. That would be wonderful to keep supporting the show. And, uh, thank you for Tara for coming on and we will see you all next time.